Hello, and welcome to another episode of Travelosophy. In this episode, I'll be talking about some intriguing experiences I had on a little road trip down to Melbourne, then out to a tiny town called Nil, which is about four hours from Melbourne, not far from the border with South Australia. However, first up, I have some really, really exciting news. Finally, after many years, you can now purchase prints, cards, canvas art, metal wall art, wall stickers, and even send free e-cards of my incredible travel photos right from my website. You can also purchase digital downloads, which give you the authority to create your own prints at home, meaning you don't have to pay shipping charges. Not only that, practically every photo that appears in my blog posts will have a link above it saying, buy a print. And if you click on it, a little window will pop up with dozens of options. You'll also find it all in my online shop at www.jadejackson.com.au forward slash shop. Now, on with the show. Since I only got my car license about five years ago, it's still a novelty to drive, especially going on a road trip with my camera. Although a sad little story about my camera. I was making a video for Patreon and I took the flash off, turned around and the tripod fell over, taking my camera with it, which meant I busted my main lens the day before a road trip. So I had to shoot everything with my 50mm lens, which is not the end of the world, but it was slightly annoying. Anyway, so during the time I was living in New Zealand, pretty much everyone I knew in Sydney, apart from family, upped and left. Most went to Melbourne, a few to Brisbane and the rest to Perth. So it had been on the cards for a while to head to Melbourne to catch up with friends and see their new house. And Melbourne has amazing food, especially this one place, Loon Croissantery. Truly the best croissants I've ever eaten. So I didn't need much of an excuse to head down to Melbourne. I was going to drive the whole way in a day. But, well, long story short, the freeway to Melbourne is a really boring drive. It's dead straight, 110 k's an hour, no towns. You have to get off the highway if you want to stop. Otherwise, just straight roads all the way. So I ended up breaking my journey in a little place called Gundagai. If you've not heard of it, it's a famous Australian town because it has a statue of a dog sitting on a tucker box, which is basically a large lunchbox. There's nothing else. The statue doesn't talk or do anything. There was just a story about a guy working the fields who fell over in the mud and then thought he'd have a break, went to have lunch, and a dog was sitting on his lunchbox. His mates thought this was hilarious, so they wrote a poem about it. And there you have it. Now a tiny town is famous because a dog sat down. But it's these random attractions that make small towns in Australia totally worth stopping at. Which I'll go into more detail when I get to Nil, but first let's talk Melbourne. I've grown rather fond of Melbourne. I used to go there for work and then stay in a bland hotel in the CBD. And it was always grey and cold, and I just didn't feel it. But that was until I went there last year, and I had my car, which totally changed everything. I fell in love with it. I found it to be now what Sydney used to be like. There's so many suburbs to explore, each totally different from each other. And one of my favourites, Brunswick, has streets lined with shops, like actual CD and record shops, and cafes and art and music. There's nothing better than grabbing an amazing coffee, a pastry, and perusing second-hand shops and street art. If I lived in Melbourne, I'd probably eat out every day because there's so many incredible places to explore. There's a whole street of random restaurants in Elstonwick in the southeast of Melbourne near St Kilda. Like there's a Russian, a Hungarian, a Greek, a Lebanese, Turkish, Moroccan, plus your usual Asian eateries like Chinese, Vietnamese and Thai. I ate stroganoff and borscht 
at Nevsky Russian restaurant. And when I closed my eyes, I was back in Russia. Not from the borscht, but from the bread. Russian bread is typically dry, heavy, and almost like fruitcake. I know it doesn't sound appealing, and there's no comparison to freshly baked bread. But your brain has amazing powers. And being in Melbourne and taking a single bite of Russian bread instantly brought up memories of travelling the Trans-Mongolian Railway and wandering the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. There's multiple foodie markets, including South Melbourne and the Queen Victoria Markets, which have an amazing deli and cheese section. And it's so far the only place in Australia I've found vintage Gouda. Melbourne is also famous for its laneways filled with teeny hole-in-the-wall cafes and bars. And amongst them, I found a place called The Soup Place, which, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of soup. Ever since I was a kid, I found it boring and unsatisfying. But they also had nice-looking rolls. Anyway, the point of this cafe is for an extra three bucks, you can add on a bowl of soup for a homeless person. And they know they can come in and get a bowl of soup. So they do. And it's such an easy thing to offer. And as a consumer, it's a really easy way to do something positive and help someone else. I'm surprised more places don't offer this. In St Kilda on Ackland Street, you'll find a bunch of old-fashioned cake shops. And the hardest choice will be narrowing it down to just one. You could easily go on a cake crawl and try a piece from each one. Then there's Chinatown. As I said, if I lived in Melbourne, it would be hard not to eat out every night because there's so many incredible places. But besides Melbourne, most tourists head to the Great Ocean Road, which is a dramatic coastal drive, or to Phillip Island, which is famous for penguins. But I'm not like most tourists. And I can't stand visiting places that are teeming with tour buses. So the main place I'll be talking about is Nil. So the average Australian Nil wouldn't even register on your radar. Most people probably haven't even heard of it, unless you'd read The Thornbirds by Colleen McCulloch. In that novel, they catch the train out to Nil. I think there was a movie as well, The Road to Nil. But the main reason I went there was to trace some family history. My grandmother spent a great deal of time on a farm just outside of Nil, which had been in our family since 1883, and always speaks fondly of her time out there. It turned out I also had two cousins that are still alive that I didn't even know existed until I mentioned to my grandmother that I was going to check it out. My middle name is Cameron, which we can trace back to the 1800s in the Isle of Skye in Scotland which was where my great-great-grandfather was from. And as soon as I met my cousins, who are now in their 70s and 80s, they took one look at me and said, oh yeah, he's definitely a Cameron. That may not sound like much, but I don't know who my biological father is. Long story, well, not really, but... Anyway, to hear from two strangers that they recognised I was one of them was exciting. They even had photos of my mum as a kid when she visited the farm. I won't bore you with family stories, but there was one that was particularly interesting. So one of my cousins, Ewan, who still lives in Nil and actually owns the farm now, has a daughter who was teaching English in Japan. Again, it's weird hearing how similar our families were without even knowing each other. But anyway, so Ewan went over to Japan to visit his daughter and ended up staying there for a bit, also teaching English. Whilst he was there, two of his students asked if they could do a homestay in Australia and stay with Ewan on the farm in Nil, which he agreed to. A year or so later, they came out to visit and stayed on the farm, and one of them suggested, hey, next time you're in Japan, you should meet my mother, because I think you two would get along. She's crazy like you. Ewan laughed it off, didn't think much of it, until the next time he was in Japan visiting his daughter, and he met up with the students. And lo and behold, one of them introduced him to her mother, 
and Ewan and her hit it off and ended up becoming close friends. So anyway, fast forward a few years later and his Japanese friend went to Canada for a holiday and bought a teacup, which was wrapped up in newspaper. When she returned to Japan, she gave the newspaper to Ewan because it was in English and you don't often see English newspapers in small towns in Japan. And she said, oh, you know, you might be interested in this as a joke because obviously it was going to be old news. Anyway, on the front page was a story about a kid playing the violin whose name was Paul Allen Cameron, spelt the same way as my great-great-grandfather. And it turned out that my great-great-grandfather had a brother and back in the Isle of Skye, both Cameron brothers decided they'd had enough of Scotland and were heading off. One said he was going to America and was never heard from again, whilst the other went to Australia and ended up in nil. However, the one who went to America actually ended up in Nova Scotia, and nothing was ever heard from that brother who went to Canada until the newspaper article. So there's a whole bunch of Camerons living in Canada that my family had no idea existed until fate stepped in. However, whilst I was in Nil, I was surprised by the number of attractions it had for such a small town that aren't necessarily widely known or advertised. I've written a blog post, which of course you'll find on my website, with more detail, including website and contact links. But three main reasons to stop in Nil include a weeping yellow gum tree. Now, a tree may not sound so interesting, but it's the only known example of a weeping yellow gum tree in existence. That's it. There's no bush. You won't find it anywhere else in Australia. Just one tree, one weeping yellow gum tree, just outside of Nil. And ironically, it also used to be on what was my family's farm, just to make it doubly interesting. It's a few hundred years old, and no one really knows how it came to be. If you follow the road out of Nil towards Adelaide, it's about 15 kilometres out of town just past Mount Elgin Road. There's a truck stop, which if you pull into, there's a sign in front of the actual tree. Another reason to go to Nil is Amber's Sweet Bliss. It's a cafe, but every day that it's open, check their Facebook page for the latest, Amber makes freshly baked cheesecakes. And unlike most cake shops, you can tell these have been made with love. There's a small oven behind the counter, and they are continuously pulling out trays of freshly baked cookies throughout the day. I tried the ginger and orange cheesecake, and it was light and fluffy, with just a hint of citrus. On their Facebook page, they post photos of their latest offerings, and it's so tempting, I just want to jump in my car and drive to Nil for a piece of cheesecake. She regularly makes mint cheesecakes and mint Rocky Road as well, so if you're a fan of mint, make sure you check it out. Lastly, you'll find the only pinball museum in Australia, in Nil, which seems a bit random, and it's located within the Desert Oasis Motel, which is even more random. But they have working pinball machines dating back to the 50s, as well as modern ones including The Simpsons, Star Wars, and Guardians of the Galaxy. It's free to go into, and they're open quite late. You just need to have a supply of $1 coins to play. Plus, they also have a bunch of movie memorabilia, like autographs, and an original sketch blueprint of the first pinball machine. So, even though my reason for visiting Neil was personal, what I took out of it was make sure you stop in the tiny random towns, because sometimes what you'll find can be really exciting. Also, I'm yet to visit a town with folk as friendly as Neil. Everywhere you go, people stop to not just say hello, but actually have a conversation. Coming from Sydney, where nobody talks to you, was refreshing.
Many of these small towns were devastated by highway reroutes and along with drought struggled to make ends meet. So going on a slight diversion, spending your tourism dollars in small towns rather than McDonald's or Subway will always be appreciated. One of the other towns I encountered, which unfortunately was late in the day on a Sunday when I was there, so pretty much everything was shut, but there's a town in northwest Victoria near the New South Wales border called Rainbow. And in the centre of their main street, they have, unsurprisingly, a giant rainbow. Driving back from Neil to Sydney, the most direct route was via one-lane rural backroads. So I essentially had to zigzag my way across a couple of hundred kilometres, which was how I stumbled upon the town of Rainbow. But in Australia, you always see road signs telling you to watch out for kangaroos or wombats, but most of the time you see nothing. In the stretch before the town of Hay, I was driving on a single-lane dirt road. It was dark, and there were hundreds of kangaroos. Some were just standing by the side of the road, others were sitting in the middle of the road. At other times, I was driving with half a dozen kangaroos hopping along either side of the car. At any moment, one could have easily have jumped in front of my car. I know you hear it, but in all my times of driving in Australia, I've never actually experienced anything like it. And it was both exciting, but also extremely hazardous. So, if you're driving at dusk or night on rural roads in Australia, always expect kangaroos to jump out in front of you and drive accordingly. Because if you hit one, they can completely ride off your car. I was literally the only person on the road. So I also found fog lights handy to see more of the sides of the road. But it's technically illegal to use fog lights when it's not foggy. So, like high beams, I just switched them off if I saw other cars, if there's any cops listening. Another surprising place I found in Victoria was Hanging Rock. Most Australians would have heard of the book Picnic Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay, and there was a revamp of this recently made into a TV series, which was more modern. But anyway, if you're unfamiliar with it, basically a group of boarding school girls go for a picnic in the countryside, and a few of them disappear. One of them is found, but has no recollection of what happened, and so begins the mystery of Hanging Rock. What is unique is the location used in the movie, TV series, and where the book was set is an actual place called, unsurprisingly, Hanging Rock. It's about an hour's drive north out of Melbourne, and it's basically a monolithic rock covered in bush, rainforest, and huge boulders, weathered into mysterious shapes. It's a steep walk up, but it offers stunning views over the surrounding countryside. Whilst the rock itself is surrounded by flat farmland, so it would be seemingly impossible to get lost on it, there's supposedly lava tubes hidden amongst the boulders that are so deep no one has ever seen the bottom. Either way, there's still something creepy and weird about this place. At one point, I was standing looking out and a woman was calling out to her kid. The woman was about a metre away from me and a kid called back and it sounded like she was next to me, but actually she was way up the hill, but her voice had reflected and echoed off all the rocks, so it sounded like she was in a different spot. Add to that the weird faces that look like they've been carved in the rocks from weathering, and if it was foggy, you totally have the makings of a horror movie. But of course, it's also a lovely spot for a picnic. There's lots of wildlife in the surrounding areas, including kangaroos and supposedly koalas, although I didn't see any koalas. But regardless, it's an intriguing piece of nature. Allow a couple of hours to explore the area. as a small exhibition next to the cafe which describes how the landscape was formed. There's also a parking fee charge, which is basically more of an entrance fee. And you can buy some picnic at Hanging Rock souvenirs, like the book and the original Australian movie directed by Peter Weir. On the northern side of Hanging Rock, there's supposed to be one of those anti-gravity locations, 
where the hill looks like it goes up, but really your car will roll forward. I couldn't find the exact spot, or it didn't work for me. Maybe gravity was strong that day. But there's plenty of videos on YouTube about it. From the northern side, you can get a clear view of the entire rock, which makes it look much smaller than it seems when you're exploring it. That's all for this podcast episode of Travelosophy. Thank you so much for listening. If you like sciencey and random podcasts, be sure to check out my other show, Jade Talk Stuff, which includes fascinating episodes about death, sharks, not related, and water. Head to my website, jadejackson.com.au, for my travel blog, or to purchase my travel photos, or to send me an email. You can also tweet me at jadekinsjackson on Twitter, or send me a voice recording on Facebook at Travelosophy Podcast, and I'll play it on my next show. If you'd like more podcast episodes and exclusive bonuses, then head to patreon.com forward slash jadejackson. Throw a few bucks my way and you can have access to things like ad-free blog posts, recordings of poetry and micro-stories, and for a limited number of subscribers, I'll include digital downloads of my incredible travel photos. For more info, head to patreon.com forward slash jadejackson. Thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jay Jackson. Bye-bye now.